Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to another edition of Monday Morning Coffee. I'm your host today, Alex Gore. I'm here with Bill Allen. Bill was a guest on episode 90. Um, you don't necessarily have to go and listen to that one to get what we're going to talk about here. But if you wanted, if Bill is so entertaining that you want more Bill, go back to episode 90 and you'll get, you'll get some, yourself some more. He is the founder and president of Evolve Lab, Disrupt Repeat, and On Point Scans. These firms synergetically, that's a word, help architects, engineers, and contractors optimize the built environment. Bill has the most watched Autodesk University talk ever. It is titled, The Future of BIM is Not BIM, and it's coming faster than you think. Welcome to Monday Morning Edition of Inside the Firm. How's it going, Bill? Good, Al. How you doing, man? Good to see you. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So a couple things. I, I obviously know you from way back, farther back than most people probably realize, um, but, and I know Evolve Lab, is Disrupt Repeat and OnPoint Scans still ongoing? What are those two? What are you doing with those two? Yeah, definitely. So uh, OnPoint Scans is a company where we do LiDAR scanning and photogrammetry scanning for like existing facilities. Um, so like if you're an architect renovating, renovating a space, uh, we go through and do like LiDAR scanning to get all your, your as-builts on that. Uh, for a lot of contractors, we're doing like construction progress scanning. So like photogrammetry kind of stuff. Uh, and doing tagging uh, for progressive uh, construction progress. progress. Um, so that's the scanning company, and we're still doing that. Uh, Vov Lab is a, a computational design and, and BIM consulting company where we do a lot of app development for architects, engineers, and contractors. Um, and then Disrupt Repeat is basically the umbrella company that uh, oversees both of those uh, companies. Okay, awesome. I like how that's structured. That makes sense. Um, can you just give us an overview or a teaser of what your Autodesk talk was about? And can people still go watch it? Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, I did that class, I think it was in 2016. Um, and it was the whole premise of, you know, like around 2009 or 2010 is when most firms started using Revit and started using BIM. And so uh, that talk primarily is about how the industry now is starting to do stuff with data. So before, beyond just like creating like a door schedule or a window schedule with your data, now you can start leveraging daylighting optimization or how do you, you know, minimize your travel distances so nurses can get to their, their patients faster. And so the whole premise of the class was data-driven design and data optimization um, and starting to basically in the simplest terms, start to do stuff with data um, beyond just creating, you know, construction document set. And then it's a catchy title, but is that the mental transition is like, it's not building information modeling, which is cool. Everyone knows about it, a lot to it. But was that transition where you said it's not BIM, it's, it's data driven? Is that, that the play there? Yeah, the, the, it's a little bit of wordplay. Uh, and so it was really a pivot from building information modeling to building information optimization. And so starting to optimize projects, automate BIM, you know, with data, using data in, to inform design. But yeah, it's, it's all about optimization and automation. 
Yeah, yeah. It, it's that next step for, for people. And I'm just going to repeat and obviously not probably get this 100% correctly, but when BIM was coming across, it was all just about putting all that stuff in there, having it be smart. And now it's using all that information to kind of feed back into the system to, to make better decisions and, and, and uh, improve the process essentially. 100%. You, you yeah. nailed it. Yep. Um, what do you use for your scanning? We have a BLK 360 and a Matterport camera. Um, and then sometimes we rent some of the more high-end, like the Leicas or the RTCs, things like that. But then, for most of the projects, we're using the BLK and it's suffice. Because the BLK, like, uh, aren't those like those 20 grand ones? Yep. And the Matterport is like probably five. Yep. Do you want to talk about the difference? Because people will be like, why does one cost 20, one, one cost five? Yeah, so the Matterport uh, is using uh, stitching photos together. And then what it does is it creates uh, a 3D OBJ mesh file. And in a sense, it looks more like melted candle wax, like on your wall facade. So it's, it's not super accurate from a, a scanning uh, perspective. But if you're looking to like do, you know, construction progress, you want really high-end HDR photos, it's really great for that. Um, if you're going to do more like as built and things that have a really high tolerance, the BLK is going to be better, um, because it's literally shooting off a laser on a surface, coming back to the camera and figuring out the distance of that. That's in a sense what LIDAR scanning is. And so that one's going to be a much, much more accurate, you know, scanning equipment. It just depends on the application and when you would use either one. Yeah. Have you or your team messed with, um, I think the iPad pros now. And I think it, they have laser. I think it's laser, not just photogrammetry. I could be wrong. Have you guys looked into that? I have not. Um, Matthew Bird, though, has done a few examples uh, of that. And it's explicitly with the uh, iPhone 12, I believe, also has some LiDAR functionality. I personally have not had my hands on it yet. Um, but it looks like it's pretty interesting technology. I think it could be really useful for, like, maybe single family or if you're doing, like, a kitchen remodel. Um, I don't think like if you're going to, you know, scan a, a four story parking garage or something, you probably don't want to do it with the iPad. Um, right. but again, it's all application. It depends on what you're, you're using it for. Yeah. Any lessons learned from taking that journey of, uh, you know, on point scans? Yeah. Um, the one thing I would say, and, and no dis to, to like or the BLK, but uh, in my experience, I felt like the equipment isn't as sturdy. Like we've had it fall over twice and it breaks and it's falling from, you know, 18 inches uh, on a tripod. And for it being, you know, construction, a piece of construction equipment, I would, I would kind of expect it to be a little more durable. Um, that's, that's one comment I would make on the hardware side. Um, on the software Honestly, side. That's a huge point. Like <laughs> I would have never thought about that. Yeah, I wouldn't have either. I, I didn't think that, that they were that, but I mean, there's, you know, there's, I don't know the, the mechanics of it, but the equipment in there, I guess, is really sensitive. And if they get knocked over and, and fall on the ground, even, you know, a, a 12 to 18 inch fall, I guess, is significant. So um, that's one thing to be leery of the Matterport, I think might be a little more sturdy. Um, and if you get into like the RTCs and some of the uh, higher grade ones, maybe they're more uh, durable. Um, that's one thing to mention on the hardware. The software side is the Matterport, you, it, it's a good, it's a blessing and a curse. It, it auto registers. So as you're scanning, it automatically knows where it's at and it federates, you know, those scans, puts them together and you don't have to manually register them. Um, the recap software and some of the registered 360 software, 
um, will do some of that, but you also get the opportunity to manually register that. And so through that process, um, you can be a little more intentional about how you marry up your scans, where the Matterport is, it is what it is. Whatever you get is what you get, uh, and you don't throw a fit, as my, my kids say. Um, but so you, you, you federates it, and then from there, if the scan gets misaligned or anything, you have to remove the scans and rescan them. Um, so auto registration versus manual registration, those are some things to watch out for that can be at their gotcha in the field when you're scanning. Yeah, gotcha. Good to know. Um, back when you started it, uh, you know, you had the idea and the intention that you're reaching out to architecture firms and helping them because BIM is in the realm of architecture. But we were talking, and I don't think it was on the podcast, it might have been just in one of our groups or something, that you found out that a lot of construction companies wanted your service. Is that still the trend? What's, what's the kind of breakdown? And has any other, other than architecture or construction, reached out to you guys? Yeah, really good comment and question. Um, yeah, contractors, you know, we're working with PCL Construction, Mortensen Construction, um, and uh, there's using, I wasn't anticipating that, you know, like my background was architecture. And what I was seeing, you know, in the architecture world, you have what's called computational design, algorithmic model, and you're using like Grasshopper, Dynamo um, to help inform design. And what I started seeing is contractors starting to leverage some of those tools. So like, by way of example, like we built a, a hanger heat map for Mortensen Construction. So like all your hangers for your, your plumbing, um, your fire protection, et cetera, they, they, they get mounted with hangers. And so there was uh, a deflection that we wanted to see from a structural um, performance standpoint. And we were using, you know, Dynamo and, and Revit um, and different uh, software stacks to be able to do a heat map uh, for these hangers. And so like, I just didn't anticipate that as much on, on the construction side, but yeah, they're definitely leveraging it. And even more now with the whole DFMA, Design for Manufacturing Movement, um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate times with Katera and what they were doing, but um, you know, there's still a movement around that and leveraging what I'm calling computational construction tools uh, for design for manufacturing. So yeah, hundred um, percent. Katera, I saw the headline, but did you, they, they shut down. Do you know what happened there? This is kind of off the cuff. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the ins and outs of it. It sound, I don't Maybe know. Explain what they are. Yeah. So Katera, as I understand it, is a company started in 2015 um, and they were really hitting uh, very repeatable kind of projects like multifamily kind of projects, one, two, and three bedroom apartments. And then what they were doing is they were creating software and systems uh, to be able to do off-site construction. So they build pods of kitchens, bathrooms, ship them on site, assemble them. And it was supposed to disrupt, you know, traditional build processes, you know, for construction. And then they were augmenting that with software. So software automation to help with their design for manufacturing process. And they got, you know, to the tune of $2 billion uh, from different investors, including SoftBank. Um, and they had five or six years run at it and, uh, we heard they're going out of business. I don't know if it's a, a symptom of COVID and or the process didn't work or what. From what I had heard and, and read in some of the articles, it, it sounded like there might have been a few construction projects that that weren't that great or didn't go that great from what I read online, but I don't know the details of it. Yeah. What's weird too is because I think a lot of people have in the back of their head that more houses are going to be pre-manufactured houses. Um, and I think it was actually the 2000, 
it was right during the start of COVID. So that was probably 2020. I went to the International Builders Conference and they always have a statistician on and they always talk numbers of the construction industries. I don't know if you're at that conference. I didn't see you there. No, I wasn't there. But he basically stated that uh, pre-manufactured homes, and it's not just the ones in quote unquote trailer parks because they're getting more sophisticated and all that, um, actually declined the last two years. So there was, you know, a slow trend up and everyone kept saying like, you know, once we get um, all this technology off, you know, like once we can replicate how cars are made, you know, this is going to take off. It's going to be cheaper. It's going to be quicker. And, And people should really appreciate how sophisticated an automobile is and that you could get one, literally a new one for $14,000. You know, it's not high end, but cars are extremely sophisticated. So that's kind of the goal is if we could mass produce these, you know, what could we actually bring that price down? And someone asked him and he just speculated that just that upfront cost of building a factory and having it in sort of proximity is a very difficult hurdle to come because you can build literally a car manufacturer plant anywhere. And those can be shipped on roads all over the place. Like, you know, I'm sure BMW is only made in, you know, Europe somewhere. Right. But people have BMWs over here and housing doesn't reflect that same thing. You know, like if you have a manufacturing plant in Denver shipping, you know, a house to Idaho, I'm not even Idaho, uh, Missouri or wherever, um, or even North Carolina is a big deal where if there was a car manufacturer plant in California, you ship it across there. No big deal. Um, and, and once I heard that, I go that, I, I don't know if that will, if the pros will ever outweigh that con. Totally. Um, yeah. What do you think of that? Like, because yeah, I think we all have this hope. Yeah. I mean, I remember, cause I was pitching this, uh, when I used to work in architecture, um, and I, the exact comment I received back was bill, we're, we're designing buildings, not Toyota Camrys, you know? So it's like one of those things is like, you, you do see this trend of repeatability and I ultimately think it comes down to exactly what you just said out is it's logistics and the shipping of those materials and those, those pods and those buildings. Cause to your point, it's, it's a much weightier, it's a bigger thing. Um, and the value has to be there. I think maybe the only way you start to get around that, and I don't know if you start to, have like your local distribution in each city hub. And maybe that's one way you resolve it because you're not having to travel as far as distances. Um, maybe there's dedicated roads, you know, for those kinds of uh, projects and those, those kind of shipping. Um, but yeah, it's, I think that is part of it. And that guy in to your point probably hit the nail on the head is logistics and shipping. Yep. The only thing I could think of that might alleviate that is that let's say you're doing a big neighborhood. Like I live in a typical American suburban neighborhood. There's literally a school in the center. There's a park in the center and trails all over the place. And a lot of the big neighborhoods have that, you know, you have to have the schools and all that is before you build the school. And while you're building the houses is that is your mobile manufacturing center, meaning, and you literally set up maybe tents, some temporary structure materials come in, you prefab the walls right there and just ship them out. Um, And that would only address kind of new neighborhoods. But at least it would, you know, maybe bring the cost down at that, you know, for those houses. And also those companies are, I mean, those neighborhoods have three to 500 houses in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. That's just me spitballing there. Yeah, no, it's a good comment. It's a good comment. 
Do you think that what if you break it down into smaller chunks, like, you know, if you are designing rather than a whole house, but it's like a, an apartment unit, like a one or two, three bedroom apartment, and you're shipping out pods or kitchens and bathrooms, does that make it any easier from a logistics? Because now you're, you know, in a sense, sending smaller packages versus like one very, very large package. One thing that I saw that I like that hotels are doing is that they are doing the bathroom pods and shipping mm -hmm. them out. So they'll make it a traditional building, but all the bathrooms, um, everyone's been in hotels, like all the water's right there. It's all next to the hallway. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. <laughs> maybe they should do that for apartments and then maybe they could get into custom houses after that. But the, the only thing about like whole units, like making a unit, an apart, apartment unit, or even a hotel room is like that you know, there's an eight foot six standard for roads. You can obviously go bigger than that, but now the shipping costs, you need, you know, a front car and a back car and that dimension of eight foot. And then if you have a 13 foot height limit, which, but that's on top of the trailer. So you're talking eight foot or, or below, that's not desirable standards. You know, right. a, a car fits on that, right? But that's a car. Uh, uh, rooms do not fit in road standards. Um, I'll go on a tangent. Hopefully I can remember all these uh, tidbits. So I took my kids on a train ride up in, uh, God, what's that first town? Georgetown, you know, when you're going in the mountains, right? Yep. And a lot of people know that the width of a railroad, even today is based off a Roman, you know, cart chariot back a thousand years ago, right? <laughs> so that's one thing that isn't changed. Another thing is, have you ever noticed like when trains or, uh, um, a subway, not a subway. What do they, I'm used to New York. Uh, the light rails come by the whistle yep. that they do. Yep. It's, it's literally Morse code and it's for the letter Q. Do you know why that is? I don't. It used to be back in England. The queen's train would signal Q for saying, I have the right of way. I have the queen. And then <laughs> really, yeah. And America was like, well, whenever we're going through something, we're going to say we have the right of way. We're just going to uh, signal Q, you know, we're not stopping. But, uh, and there was one other more fact. It's like, holy cow, you took these ideas from, you know, a hundred years ago. And you're like, we're just going to keep doing that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, coming back to BIM <laughs> and away from trains, <laughs> uh, some of the things you provide, I'm, I'm going to list some things off. Um, okay. And we can kind of dive into them. So okay. computational construction, computational design, BIM coordination, reality capture. We kind of talked about BIM support, app development, training, and, and training. Is any one of those like your core, like this is 80% of our business, 70% of our business, something like that. And then are there any ones that aren't on your website that you're seeing cropping up? Yeah, I would say we probably are doing to the tune of 70% app dev. Um, so we have full stack developers, front end, back end, we have a, our CTO and he oversees most of that. Um, and so 70% is probably app dev. Uh, probably 20% is going to be um, 3D coordination for contractors. Um, and then another 10% is probably like architectural BIM management support services. Yeah. And we started... And we started like heavy on the, the top, like on the BIM support, because that was kind of my strength when, when we started Evolve Lab. But since of 
brought people much smarter than I am now, you know, so we have like a construction technologist that specializes in 3D coordination and computational construction for contractors. Um, and then a team of, you know, developers that have skill sets that I don't have. And so we're executing, you know, on app dev projects uh, for architects, engineers, and contractors. Talk about some of that. How did you get into that? What were some of the, maybe the first projects that you had for application developments and what are you doing now and in the, in the future? So like three part, <laughs> three yeah. part question. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. How did you start? What are you doing now? And, and what do you see happening in the future? Yeah. So how did we start? Well, um, we started really with Dynamo scripts. Um, I call Dynamo the gateway drug for app dev. And so just found that as a, a lower barrier to entry to start automating certain tasks. And so like automating, you know, like BOMA calculations, you know, we were doing quite a bit of that for Oz Architecture in Denver, um, doing, you know, trying to figure out rentable square footage and optimizing that uh, for projects using Dynamo. Um, and then we started working on uh, a, a, an issue in our industry, which I saw was uh, design models going from SketchUp or Formit into Revit. And so then we started working on our own standalone program that converts SketchUp to, to Revit models. And so kind of the interoperability. Um, we're still working on that right now. We have some live syncing that's going on with that program. Um, and then right now, some uh, project we're actively working on is, is called Glyph. And it's basically creating packages. So if you're an architect building out construction drawings, um, we're building out a tool that will do auto create cardinal elevations, create all your reflected ceiling plans, your floor plans. It goes through, uh, finds unique sections of curtain wall uh, and other materials in the, in, of the building, creates wall sections of those, and then it goes through a sheet packing routine and will actually then start to pack all of those. And then if there's certain standards that you have for dimensioning and, and documentation, uh, can start to inform some of that as well. So that's what we're working on right now. So let's unpack that a little bit. Let's talk about um, step by step. Unintended or no pun intended on the sheet packing? Are we unpack what are, which, what are we unpacking here? <laughs> we're, we're unpacking floor plan uh, and, and reflected ceiling plan creation. So what do you, what do you mean by that? Let's go the easy one, reflected ceiling plans. What yep. would this program do? So it could start to take, say, all of your, your, your bathrooms. You have all these enlarged plans you have to create for uh, – a project. It could create your enlarged plans for your bathrooms. Uh, it could create your floor plans so you have different areas for your project, area A, B, C, D, E, F, whatever else. Uh, it could create all of those views. Then it can create dependent views of those. And then it can name them appropriately based on whatever the firm standards are. Uh, it can name the sheets appropriately and then can drop those said reflected ceiling plans onto a sheet. Gotcha. And then um, you said dimensioning standards. Can, let's say I draw a floor plan. Um, can you have it automatically dimension? You know, we have a, let's talk exterior dimensions, right? Yep. So we have a three tier system. One is the overall building length. That's the highest one. The second one is the exterior walls only. That's the third, the, the middle one. And then the last one is walls, windows, and doors. So center yep. lines of windows and doors, and then, you know, any exterior wall breaks and all, all four sides. We could tell the program, hey, we want you to do this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it will know and it will place it and it will do those three three levels. Yes. yes. Uh awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll do a demo sometime. Uh we just did it uh for curtain wall manufacturer. Um 
executed that. We did, again, for drywall manufacturer up in uh, Michigan, or no, Chicago, Chicago. Um, and then starting to roll it out into full-fledged floor plans and other, I guess, more, uh, what do I want to say, generalized. You know, like a lot of them are very specific in the way that they want them um, and trying to generalize it a bit based on those standards that you just communicated out. You know, the overall penetration, center line, uh, and opening, so. So let's say, let's say an, uh, a firm heard this, and then I'm going to go over some like very selfish questions too. Um, but they heard, you know, what you said and they're like, hey, I want something like that. Do they just reach out to you guys and, and you set up a demo? Is this a package that they buy and then they can tweak themselves or is this something they tell you what they want, you make it that happen and then ship it to them? How does that process work? Like literally if, if someone hears this and is like, I need something like that, but a different idea. Yeah, so we so both. So we started out, uh, we build out custom software. So if it, in this example is drywall manufacturer in Chicago, once a, a tool like this, we can build it out for them specifically. Um, but then also we productize a lot of the tools. And so the one that we're talking about right now uh, is one that you could just go purchase a license of it, download it, install it on your firm's computers, deploy it to everybody's machines. Um, and then there's settings in there that you could start to have for your firm standards. So you could have like offset distances uh, for those dimension strings. So there's settings in there that you could start to uh, have in there. But then the other thing is we can augment a lot of those tools for each firm's custom, you know, whatever they want. If, if, there's, if there's some specific thing that's not in there, I'll give you an example. We had uh, one client that was like, hey, it'd be really great if it could also remove views, not just add views, but remove, remove views. You know, so then we could augment the tool to be able to do those things as well. If it's something that's really out there that is not necessarily on the, our roadmap, um, then we can augment or create a custom software solution for said client. Gotcha. So both. Cool. I mean, that's just on the website somewhere they'll, they'll find. Yep. Cool. Yeah. It's not on there right now because we're actively up, updating the whole UI right now, this week and next week, but maybe by the time the podcast is published, uh, maybe it actually will be up there. So we'll see. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Not check back in. Okay. Uh, I'm sure, uh, multiple firm owners have, similar questions that I had. I just asked the team, I go, you know, what would you want to ask if this is possible? And then maybe I'll, I'll do one by one and you can maybe start with, yes, this is how you'd start to do this, or you'd have to create an app to do this, or um, we'll see. So is it possible <clears throat> to create an automatic outlet layout plan? And what yes. I mean by that is, you know, you have a electrical plan and it says outlets, outlets have to be six feet apart and then 12 feet apart. There's all these rules. And could I just hit a button and it makes all my outlets? Yes. <laughs> How, yeah, we, we did a dynamo script for that. So that's the only reason I know it's possible. So, yeah. So is that something that like, I would have someone either at my firm learn dynamo and make that or, or like see if we can buy from you because you guys might have it and say, Hey, we want this. Do you have it? How much does it cost? Correct. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Either one of those are good. If you have, you know, your resident Dynamo guru and you want your staff working on Dynamo scripts and, and overhead items, uh, they can totally execute that. If it's something you're looking to delegate and you'd rather, or a lot of those things we productize. So what's nice about that is we could sell it to you and a lot of other architecture firms a lot cheaper than it might be than to have to build it in house and spend, you know, a few weeks or months developing it yourself. So, and then, um, so I'm familiar with Revit, not Dynamo. Do 
is does it literally make a button in Revit so I can just press that button? Or how does that work? Yeah, so what they did is they introduced what's called the Dynamo Player. And so Dynamo Player basically gives you that button. It, has, it literally has a play button. And so for every script you want to run, so let's say like you want to run your automatic uh, outlet placer script, and then you hit the play button, and it would find all linear wall and place them six feet on center, uh, and then all of those are placed. And then maybe you want to drop in, you know, all of your lights or ceiling fan in all the bedrooms, and then you you run that, and it would find all you know the rooms uh, with the name bedroom in them, and then drop you know a ceiling fan in the center of each room. Um, and, and so it could just literally be a button in there that you hit play and it could run. Yep. Gotcha. Have you had any next question experience with schedules and then kind of calculated total. So this is a question from the staff here. Um, so an occupancy table linked to plumbing fixture count, because we will have clients say, Hey, if we make this room bigger, this room bigger, how, what does that affect? And we just want an answer rather than having to do all the work, obviously. <laughs> totally. So you want to be able to do the calculations without necessarily doing the design of the plumbing fixtures so you can get your plumbing fixture calcs of what they, how many you need. Yep. So let's say we have a, a building, an office building, let's say it's that, and they want to expand the spaces and we already know we can make how many occupancy, but then we want it to say like, okay, that means you need this many fixtures. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. If I understand your question correctly, I think depending on what would be driving that, um, i.e. if there's a unit mix ratio or uh, common spaces um, for plumbing fixtures, contingent, all that, you, you can. We have some of our own code tools that we've done this for like, like for occupancy loads, occupancy load factors, um, travel distances, um, the plumbing fixtures, we don't currently have anything for, um, but I believe you could write a Dynamo script or do something natively within the program to have it execute that. Yep. Okay. The, oh, the next ones might be purely Revit needs to fix, but maybe not. Maybe these are something that can be addressed without Revit doing anything. And if it is Revit needs to fix, maybe, you know, someone at Revit, or if we go to a conference together, we can grab someone high up at Revit and yell at them. Okay. Definitely. <laughs> then you'll be on my side. Have you heard of this one? Because this one is pissing people off. You can't, <laughs> you can't uh, slope tag a ramp. Like uh, you you can, yeah, you can in uh, 2022. So it's a new feature that they just introduced. So the Autodesk uh, people must have heard you guys' rant and then got it implemented just in time. Good. So the 2020 uh, update two version is what you're I saying. I believe so, yep. Cool. Um, yep. Okay. You know how grids, you can move all the grids together. Um, yep. Section heads and tails to move like grids. Yeah, that would be really nice. Um, I don't think you can do that natively in Revit. Um, I'm trying to think because you can like lock certain things to each other and maybe there could be a, a, a reference plane that maybe you could do that, but I don't think you could do it natively with uh, Revit or the sections. I'd have to try it. Okay, so natively it wouldn't work and it probably wouldn't work with a script because a, a script would actually have it do something. You just want it. So maybe yeah maybe locking them to a reference plane and just moving the reference plane around yeah you got my curiosity i have revit open here and i'm testing it but go ahead you can ask me another question okay um here's one let's say you're making new levels and you're in a section view or elevation and you want to batch edit like hey um create elbows 
um, and, you know, in the levels so that you can see the text and don't have them overlap. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I don't think there's a way, and I'd have to check like some of these out, like you have to check the, the API to see what's available and what you have access to. I'll give you an example, yeah. um, which is not a, an answer to your question, but uh, by way of example is uh, before Revit 2022, um, you couldn't, you, we didn't have access to the, the Revit ceiling API. And so now in 2022, we do. And so we at Evolve Lab just built a ceiling generator tool. And so we could not do that in 2021, but now we can in 2022 because they've given us access to the API. So my point is, is depending on if those levels and the elbows are accessible via the API, then we could look and see if there is a way to edit those via an add-in or a Dynamo script or whatever. Um, but if not, then not. You're kind of, the Autodesk kind of ties your hands in a, in a sense on that. Okay. Awesome. This is a great segue because the next question is a ceiling question, Okay. but I'm going to interject one before this official question. Uh, so when you make ceilings, you can just click like automatically make it and it places in rooms, but yep. it doesn't snap the way we like. So we always draw them, but I'm, but I'm thinking that your ceiling editor will be smarter so that you could put in those rules and then say, make ceilings, you know, make them all over the place with those rules. Is that correct? Well, it depends. What are, what do you not like about the native tool and what rules are you trying to have it imply? I don't think it, I want to snap, you know, there's your stud wall and then your gypsum layer on your wall. I want it to uh, snap on the edge of the gypsum. Oh, I got you. I think there is a hidden uh, setting. Um, Maybe I'll, I'll send you a link. Uh, I think there's a setting in there. If I know what you're trying to do um, where you can actually have it, uh, clean up that condition the way you want it to. But uh, I might need to be able to see it. But I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Here's another one that you maybe have heard of too. So <clears throat> roofs, this is traditionally in houses, right? You have sloped roofs, both sides, right? Yep. Ceilings and soffits cannot do double slopes. You have to make two separate ones. This might be a yell at Revit one. Yeah, you're very correct on that. Yep, that's you have to do a double double ceiling on that. So, what are they doing? Yeah. These are you're in sketch mode. A roof yeah. can do it. Yeah. The the one thing you could do, I think, though, is you could um, do could you do a slope on both sides where you could say, hey, it has a slope, and infer that on either side where you could have a ceiling, and you say define slope. I'm doing it on my side right now with uh, ceilings can't unless twenty unless a newer version of it. You can't do a double slope on a ceiling from either oh, you're side. Right. It says there's there's more than one slope defined. You're right. Yeah. Dang That's it. Autodesk. Yep. Yeah, we yeah. gotta go talk to the CEO Andrew Agonos over at Autodesk um, and tell him we want that feature in 2023 release. Yeah. Because it, it seems weird, but like our firm is all about this kind of two second lean concept and and the annoyance of literally making one big square and just doing a slope on each side and you're done versus making a square slope on one side, hitting. Okay. Hitting the button again, making a square again, hitting slope, you know, like, come on, what are we amateurs? You know, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I like that you guys are uh, thinking efficiently like that though. And have those kind of rules in place and guidelines. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ha- what other BIM softwares do you work in besides Revit? Uh, so we were using grasshopper quite a bit. Um, of course, we mentioned Dynamo, Rhino, um, SketchUp, um, Formit. Um, we're using Navisworks. 
I guess it d depends. Are you talking about them authoring software or like? Well, you know, how about any Mac-based or ArchiCAD, uh, anything like that? Not as much, honestly. Um, and not because we don't want to, just there hasn't been as much of a need for it um, because most firms aren't using ArchiCAD, at least not in the U.S. There, it, not that there aren't, there definitely are. Um, but ArchiCAD, I think, is more popular in Europe than it is in the States. Um, and in the States, Revit is more popular. So, yeah. So um, have you been, this is kind of the last segment, um, but have you followed any of the Apple developments? Because I, a lot of us don't work on Apples, right? Totally. But the new M1 chip, um, the new computers, have you been, has that been on your radar at all? I followed a bit and I actually, I had a MacBook Pro uh, and I had, I bootcamped it with Windows and had Revit installed. And so I actually ran Revit on my MacBook Pro for a few years um, before recently transitioning back to a Dell. So it's possible. You can't, you know, there's, and there's other tools like Frame and others that will allow you to run Revit um, on a MacBook. Um, and you can do it through kind of a portal kind of interface. And there's web versions of it as well. But if you want to run it natively on a Mac, you have to do, you know, boot camp it or do parallels or something like that. So even with all the new chips and, the performance and all of that that they're doing, um, the software still doesn't allow you to execute the tool within Mac. Well, here's my idea. Here's my pitch. Anyone can steal this or right. we can team up. Um, so Neil Pan, I don't know. He used to, um, he was, a, he has his own podcast now. It's some, can't remember it, but it's like Apple for architects, right? So I listened to the first episode was great. It was with Mark LePage. It was awesome. And to back up this story, the, the new developments on the Apple M1 chip are absolutely insanely impressive. Their battery life, their power, what they can do is blowing away what can be done on, on other computers. And not everything works perfectly because they haven't optimized for that M1 chip. But if you optimize for that M1 chip, I mean, it, it's worlds, worlds apart from, from you know, your Dells and, and whatever. But I know from Neil is maybe in a couple of years, if Apple starts to take over because of their integrated M1 chip, they might develop a native Apple version of Revit. But they right now, it's not even on their radar. What they rather do is do a, a web-based version. They're probably not going to do it, right? So there's this huge, I mean there's this opportunity or conundrum that might never be taken advantage of. And, and there's one big problem to it is a, a native M1 so architecture software, right? Which ArchiCAD could be that and people could start to transition over and Revit could lose business and then they might make one, right? Um, but I wish that someone, Bill, me, you, me, you, and Neil would make a architecture program and make it for the M1 chip and have people who want that because Apple is for creatives and then become the new, become the new Revit. The totally. major problem with that is one people, why people love Revit is because it works with all the other Autodesk products, right? And right. I talked to Neil and people that are using Macs, which is like, especially with this M1 chip, like they're literally in the future, but they're using AutoCAD. So it's like, I'm in the future computer and I'm using a past program, you know? Yep. So it, 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 it kind of, it, it, it's very difficult for me. I'm very kind of upset about this whole situation. <laughs> <laughs>
Totally. And what, what's, uh, what's the, why not just go to Archicad since it's already Mac based? I mean, that might be the move. Um, yeah. I, I don't have enough experience with it. I don't know how good it is. Um, and, and, and that's, that might be what, what happens. And then Revit finally catches wind that, you know, they're losing market share, 10%, 20%, 30%. Um, because even the lower end Macs, which aren't as, as expensive, um, because a lot of people think that, you know, it's Apple, it's going to be super expensive. There's ones that aren't, um, that have the M1 chip. And, and, uh, so I hope Revit smartens up and I don't have to go to Archicad, um, or anything like that, but man, I don't know. Yeah. Any other part of the problem too with Revit is just how old the code base is. And it's such a, there's also just performance things that you can't do just based on how it's written. And I don't think Autodesk has an interest in updating it. Um, So the way it processes some of that stuff, I think uh, is also the challenge. So it's almost does have have to be like, you know, completely different kind of program. So like it doesn't use multi-thread processing, for example, for most of its tasks. So, okay. So here, here's the pitch. Why don't you develop a new Revit for the, wait, it might make sense. (laughs) You and your team develop a new program for the M1 chip on the Mac. We will be your firm that tests everything, that gives feedback. So it's all going to be real world, all that, right? You'll probably have other firms that do it. You build it. (laughs) Revit realizes that people are switching over to Archicad, losing market share. They're, They're way behind now. They don't have enough time to catch up. They buy this new out. So it's based off of, okay, when it's transitioning, it can transition back and, and play nice. Thoughts? Yeah, totally. Are you investing? I mean, we, well, are we going to, when we, are we starting this? Are we starting next week? What are we doing? Well, I mean, we need to talk to, is it Paul Allen? Uh, the you know, Enscape guys that have some money. Um, yeah. We need to start talking to some money guys. That's right. We got to get some money guys on the, on the call. So. Yeah. Um, but that's the idea, man. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's start next week. We'll start, we'll get our pitch deck going. Yep. Uh, we'll start making the rounds, start pitching it to brick and mortar ventures and some of these other investors and get it going. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I had. That, that was uh, my main selfish reason besides all the other questions that I asked. <laughs> um, anything you want to leave our listeners with anything that we didn't touch that you want to make sure you, you get out there? Uh, I don't think so other than um, look into Dynamo. Like there's a lot of opportunities for you to start automating tasks as a firm. Um, So if anyone's listening and they're interested in, uh, especially if you're used to like the AutoCAD days of like list routines, Dynamo is a great tool just to start tipping your toe in the water um, to be able to start automating some things. Even if it's just like a view renumber or sheet renumber, like it's really good for a lot of those kinds of tasks. So I'd encourage maybe people start to just kind of check into some of those. I think it's a great tool and it's already part of your, you already have it, you know, like if you own any of the Autodesk suite, Revit, it's already part of, already part of your package. So check into that. Um, and we're not an Autodesk reseller. So like, I don't get any more or less money for, for that. So, um, but check it out. It's, it's, it's powerful. There's some really good opportunities to automate. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks for being on and I'll talk to you later. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it.